Sax and the Sarah Rose story. I'm Glenn Klein. Sarah, what's your story? Hey, Glenn. Good to talk to you today. Today, my story is about non-monogamy in all its different forms. How's that sound? Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> Do you ever, you ever notice how close monogamy and monotony are to each other? Oh, shit, you went there. <laughs> Immediately. <laughs> right out the gate. <laughs> Sounds like the call I just got off of. <laughs> the guy was telling me about how his, uh, his wife would only have sex in, you know, one certain way. And they've been together a really long time. And, you know, he's wanting to keep the relationship together, but he's open to, like, more than just missionary. So, uh, yeah, it can definitely equal monotony. But I will say this. I have also seen in non-monogamy that people still have habits and patterns that they carry with them, and they just do the same thing, but with multiple people. So... I think it comes down to the individuals learning within themselves how to express themselves different ways rather than needing to look for variation uh, in other people. Getting back to your call right before we started the show, the only way that this guy and his wife have sex is in the missionary position, period. No oral, uh, that's it. Yeah, I mean, she's she's just not really into anything else. How how long were they married for so far? Uh, Seventeen years. That's significant. And how frequently uh, do they have missionary style sex? I'm not sure. I did not ask that question. All right. So let's say that they are the average, which is like once a quarter. The average married couple that have been together for ten years or more have sex four times a year on average. So let's just take the average. So let's say it's a, you know, it's a holiday thing, it's a birthday thing, it's an anniversary thing. What did you tell them? What did you tell them to do? So he's really. They've already tried um, seeing a sex therapist together, and she's just hasn't been wanting to change. So he's wanting to do the personal development work within himself. Uh, so that way he can, you know, feel more fulfilled in himself and be more in a place of sovereignty and less feeling like he needs from her. So, you know, that is where I can help. I can't change his wife. You know, when guys come to me and they're like, change my wife, I'm like, <laughs> not going to happen. If she wants to come work with me, absolutely, 100%. But, you know, what I can help guys with is I can help them change what's happening internally in themselves, the way they're approaching the situation, the way they're perceiving the situation, the way they feel about it all. And from that place, everything else in their life will shift. But don't come to me saying, change my wife. <laughs> well, and really, you can't even change the guys unless they want the change. Absolutely. But I mean, that's why they're coming to me because they want, they want the change. So, uh, you know, it's funny and it, it goes both ways. I've definitely had so many women come to me say, you know, Oh, I want this relationship and my husband just won't have it. So it's not a man thing. It's not a woman thing. It's, it's a human thing. It's an issue that people are having and 
that's why Sarah Rose is here to save the world. Sarah Rose <laughs> to save the day. <laughs> Actually, I've had so many women recently sign up for private coaching. Uh, it's It's been interesting. They've just literally like daily coming to me and I'm having to find places in my schedule to add in more private clients and they are women. So it's really great because, you know, is working with men, but I love having the balance of also having some women as private clients. So it keeps me, keeps those skills sharp, uh, but also helps me stay kind of balanced and have, um, you know, the different perspectives and having the different perspectives helps me, you know, coach the opposite gender in, I, th I feel like in a better way as well. So, uh, yeah, so I'm excited about that, but back to the conversation of non-monogamy, let's go into that. Um, it's something that actually somebody messaged me on Instagram and said, Hey, will you do a podcast about non-monogamy? So here we are doing it. I still have more questions about the women coaching. <laughs> Can I ask? Oh. One, can I ask? One, okay. Can I ask? Sorry. All right, yes. No, yes, that, that's that, that's all right. Can I ask one more question about it? Yeah. Yeah. Of course. All right. So you're you're, you're talking to more women recently than you have been in a while. You said. Mm-hmm. And how long has it been since you've done some in, um, extensive coaching for women like this? Uh, it was in the fall. Was the the last coaching that I did? Oh, okay. Because I was just wondering. So it hasn't been, it hasn't been that long. Right. I'm just wondering. Are you seeing trends with women? We we talk a lot about the trends you see with men. Have you? Are you seeing trends with women uh, different than maybe when you first started coaching them as well? Yeah. So definitely, like when I I'll say <laughs> when I was coaching women during the whole Me Too thing, like. Dude, there was so much fucking anger that was being processed through and women definitely men too everyone has anger that they're wanting to work through um but it was like explosive anger then and <laughs> i remember i was doing a group course i was like holy fuck like <laughs> Thankfully, I had already worked through a lot of mine, so <laughs> I was I was all right with it all and like able to hold space for it. Uh, but it was really intense. Uh, and then when I was working with women this past fall, that was also a group course that I was doing. Uh, it was a lot less, so there was. Um, I actually felt like this this I had in the fall kind of reverted back even to being more repressed and uh it, it was an interesting experience um i i definitely had a much harder time getting them to open up to get out of their shells and i wasn't sure exactly what what was happening with that particular group uh you know i kind of was like maybe it's just me that i've shifted to being uh, working with men so much i was like maybe i'm not relating to them in the same way that i was before when i was working primarily with women uh but i don't think so because there were still you know the there were still a handful of the women that you know really got out of it um everything that women in the past had, but there was, there was still a good chunk that 
really had a hard time opening up. So, How effective have you found it to be to periodically work with women, and how much better are you able to relate to what your guys are going through by talking to women? Absolutely. Like it definitely helps me work with men when I'm talking with women and helps me work with women when I'm talking with men. So I like to keep uh, at least a couple of women um, as private clients. So that way I'm able to have, um, you know, that conversation happening as well. I don't think I'm going to offer the group coaching anymore that I was doing with women um, because I really am focused more on the men's coaching. But uh, I especially like women in my Austin community here, like I have such a heart and I always had have had for empowering the women here uh, in, you know, in my home. So I and that's most of where my private clients come from is from from Austin when it comes to working with women. I would think that it'd be very important for you to speak to women specifically to have those voices and those perspectives in your life in your life because coach, you're not like most women. <laughs> Memo to Sarah Rose. Most women don't think about sex the way you do. Well, I, I mean, there are a lot of women I've worked, I've definitely worked with a lot of women though, that have been very exploratory, very open with their sexuality. And especially, you know, after working with me, they were really able to move through a lot of the stuff that was holding back and express themselves in the way they really wanted to. And that's, that's the thing with women is a lot of them really want to be able to express themselves. They just don't know how they've never They've never had the permission. They've never given themselves the permission. Society certainly hasn't. Religion certainly hasn't. Their families certainly haven't, right? And so, like, doing the work with me, they're finally able to find in themselves, like, the power, the courage to express themselves in the way that they really desire. Like, I was on the phone with somebody last week and he was talking about just like how I express myself sexually and you know he has a lot of ad admiration for that and I I told him I'm like it's because of this work that I've done that I'm able to do that I'm like because I put out there on the internet like I have to fucking know every single day that I've got my own back because <laughs> like I don't know that anyone else is ever going to have my back right like there's definitely no guarantee and it's like that with all of us like knowing that you've got your own back that you are secure in yourself that you will always belong with yourself that you're always safe with yourself like this is what i say over and over on this podcast but those things are so intrinsic in me now so ingrained in in me that's where where and how i'm able to live from a place of freedom and so that's what i teach women when i'm coaching them and the same thing how i coach men you know, is to find that that liberation inside of themselves and then live their truth from from there. Their truth isn't gonna look like mine. I'm I'm living mine, but that doesn't mean my clients end up acting the way I act. You know, they they do their own thing with their own lives. Um but it really is just sourced from self-love, self-belonging, safety. Yeah, regardless of how somebody gets there. They, we all have to go through that same process. 
uh, because if you don't come to self-love or, as you say, have your own back, you're never going to be able to maximize the freedom uh, that's available to us in, in each heart. If you guys haven't heard uh, episode 10 on a sexual shadowing, uh, go back and listen to that because it's all about this. And it's it's pivotal. It's absolutely crucial. It is. I mean, I am like on these guys and man on fire right now. They've got five weeks of shadow work, and I don't want to hear any fucking excuses from them. I'm like, do this work. Do your practices every single day. Show up for these calls. I mean, this literally is the critical component of everything that you're wanting like you know why do guys come to me they want sexual confidence they want to feel more empowered in their lives uh they want to feel more freedom right this is how you fucking get it and like don't come to me saying you want this shit and then don't do the work (laughs) (laughs) i'm being i'm being mean coach right now (laughs) that's awesome well, it, but it's so true, and the thing is, is that, as we've also talked about a lot, when you do this kind of work, it doesn't just help your sex life. It does help you. It, it, it conquers your sex life. Uh, you are able to walk as a sex stallion, but it absolutely flows over into every other area of your life, professionally, relationally, socially, financially. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, absolutely. It impacts everything. And and if somebody's walking around miserable because of their sex life, then they're just going to be miserable in general. So if they're able to fill themselves up to satisfy themselves, then, I mean, and I've, I've said this so many times that my tantric practices are mostly on my own. Like a majority of the tantric training, tantric that I, Tantra that I've done has been solo. And I mean, yeah, I have plenty of sex, but sex in itself is fun. I enjoy it, but it's not satiating in the same way that Tantra is. And I hate myself, you know? And so those of you that are in relationship and you're not satiated sexually, or you're not in relationship and you feel like your relationship is going to, you know, be the answer to your problems. It's not, you've got to answer the problem on your, on your own. You've got to satisfy that in yourself first and foremost, and then have a relationship from that place. Yeah. If you guys who don't have relationships right now and haven't done the work, consider yourself lucky because the relationships can kill you. Get the work done first. If you're you're in a relationship, great, and the work will be very beneficial. But take care of your own psyche, your own soul first. You'll be in a much stronger position once going through the courses and the process with the coach, and you'll just be very thankful uh, that you did. So you get a a question about non-monogamy, which is our topic for today. Thank you for sharing your story with us, by the way, Sarah. We just can imagine you having all the ladies in your house. It's the, do, you, do, you, do you serve cookies and tea? Uh, no, I serve um, truffles. And wait, wait, them- you, you, you cut out there. You serve what? I serve chocolate truffles, Ooh. and I give them a red rose. Appropriately so. Appropriately so. <laughs> so. So first of all, we were talking about how to define this particular episode, and I brought up polyamory as opposed to non-monogamy, and you said, well, 
you can be non-monogamous and not be polyamorous, and which is to- totally true. So, but it is non-monogamy. First of all, how would you define non-monogamy? So it's funny. Monogamy. The definition of monogamy has actually changed uh, in recent years. Monogamy used to mean one person for life. You're with one person your entire life. Now monogamy means you're, monogamy means that you're with one person at a time, right? <laughs> so <laughs> the definition has really shifted. Uh, but non-monogamy would be being with more than one person. Uh, I I often joke that well, I'm unless I'm you know having a threesome, I'm I'm always being monogamous, right? I'm with one person at a time. <laughs> really, that that doesn't actually cut it when people are talking about <laughs> monogamy they're like how many people are you with right now well i mean i'm i'm with nobody at the moment <laughs> i'm single <laughs> no i it was so interesting uh my co-host on sex of the pews tawny september uh was talking to her friend about listening to the show and being on the show and she considers herself a christian this friend of tawny's and she said that I don't know that I would be able to become on the show because of my moral stance on sex. And she said, Tony asked her, well, what's your moral stance on sex? And she said, just to be with one person at a time. <laughs> so, see, I mean, this is a, a religious Christian person saying, not, it's not even a question of marriage anymore. It's just that we've evolved to the point now where people are like, you know, as long as you're with one person at a time, that's pleasing to the Lord. <laughs> but but it, but but it's not. I mean, it's what it's. That's a whole other topic, uh, obviously. But what I'm saying is, is that non-monogamy means that uh, you are having sex with multiple people during any course of of your life. Is what you're saying? So no, I wouldn't say any course in your life like uh so if you're in relationship with multiple people or just not even maybe it's not a relationship but you're just you know having sex with multiple people you know within a given period of time i mean it, it's really it, it's gray you know it's like <laughs> there, there could be a week where i'm like okay well i had sex with several different people this week and then there could be a time where of like you know, that immediately follows it where I'm only having sex with a, with one person for like a couple month period. So, but I still don't consider myself monogamous during that time because it's just, that's what's happening, right. but it doesn't have to be that way. And it doesn't, you know, it could change at any moment. Right. So, so monogamy is is what as far as your monogamy is more of the commitment right like we are in a relationship together we've committed that it's just you and me and we're only going to be having we're only in relationship with each other okay and then non-monogamy can be everything outside of that well i mean many things outside of that (laughs) uh so all right well what what what, yeah what 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 forms do, do non-monogamy take 
Polyamory is one form that has become pretty popular. Uh, so polyamory is where you have relationships with multiple people. Uh, there is often a primary partner that a person will have, and then they have relationships with other people. Um, but the primary partner is the, the most important relationship. And typically in polyamorous relationships, uh, that that relationship is the one that is ruling. There's a lot of communication between those two people and those two people together decide what the rest of the relationships are allowed to look like, the boundaries uh, that are there, you know, if there are any, um, any people that you're not allowed to date or sleep with, um, any rules around, around it, you know, maybe it's, you can make out with somebody else, but you can't have sex with them. Maybe it's, um, you can do oral sex, but not penetrative sex, or you can have whatever type of sex you want with anybody you want, just not this, just not these five people, right? So, there are a lot of different ways that polyamorous, poly, poly, polyamorous couples uh, create the rules for their relationship, the boundaries. And it's really a lot of communication. I've definitely seen some really amazing poly, polyamorous couples uh, that have done a great job of navigating it. Uh, you know, and then for some people it doesn't work. It's definitely one of those things that both people in the primary relationship need to be fully on board. If one person is saying, I want this, and the other person is only doing it for the other person, it's going to be very, very damaging for that person. And so I, I never recommend to anybody that go into a non-monogamous situation unless they're 100% on board that this is what they want. So, and sometimes couples try it and they realize it wasn't for them and then they decide to close their relationship again and, you know, become monogamous again. So, you know, the thing with modern relationship is we have so many options, so many different ways that we can explore and try different things and we really have this amazing opportunity to create the own dynamic for our own relationships. The only rules that are there are rules that we impose on ourselves. You know, like if, if you want to impose religious rules on your relationship, then you absolutely can do that. And if you decide that you don't, then you can, you know, create a new set of rules. So there's a lot of like, fun ways for couples to explore, uh, you know, a lot of different options if they want to. Very difficult for one member of the relationship to be non-monogamous and one member of the relationship to be monogamous. That, that, that's a tough one. Oh yeah, that's, it is very difficult. Uh, and often, one of the parties is miserable. You know, it's going to be the one that is really wanting some, one way or the other, somebody's going to be wanting something different. What do you recommend to uh, your clients and to people in general about don't ask, don't tell non-monogamy versus have everything out in the open? 
Yeah, so in polyamorous relationships, they often are very much about telling everything. And they may not, that might not be like the details of the sexual experience that somebody, that they had with somebody else. But, but there is a whole lot of sharing. There's a lot of communication and just transparency that happens. Other couples have more of a don't ask, don't tell relationship, which is something that more mimics what you would see in uh, out in nature, right? So if you have two animals that have pair bonded, uh, that just because they pair bonded doesn't mean that they're monogamous are most likely still having sex, copulating with other animals um, outside of their pair. So those animals, they don't necessarily come back and like sit down and have a whole conversation about it all and set up the rules and the boundaries. It was more of just like, you know, they go do their thing, they come back and, you know, continue with their 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 life that they have together, this pair bond that they've created. So, um, so that's more like a don't ask, don't tell of like, okay, we, we have this agreement. We have this understanding that we're allowed to have sex with whoever we want. We don't own each other's sex. Uh, and yet we don't have to talk about this all the time. Like, you know, if I'm on a business trip and I meet somebody in the hotel bar and I want to go have sex, I can. And it's not something that I have to call home about and have this big conversation about. Um, you know, it just happened and I'm not being dishonest because we already have this agreement that that is okay type thing. Um, so that's just another way of going about it. When my wife and I got divorced, we I wanted to have an open marriage. She di- she didn't want any part of that. We got divorced. We had an open divorce. So she was dating people, having sex. I was dating people, having sex. And then we would come together. We'd go on vacations together. It was amazing. And then when we we reconciled for a period of time for about seven years, and Dawn having sex with other people was the greatest thing ever for her and for us. And for me, too, by the way. It was, it was a great ego boost, and she'd always come back to me as well. Because she's a very beautiful woman, and you know, you beautiful women can pretty much do whatever you want sexually. So very, it's, it's a wonderful thing in uh, 2020. And then this was 15 years ago. When we got back together... I told her, I said, honey, I said, I know you're having a great time out there. And I just missed the family dynamic. I wanted to back in. And she reluctantly let me back in. I said, just go for it. Just whatever you want. I said, I would like to know about it. And she did not give me the same permission, by the way, at first. (laughs) She didn't say, okay, honey, I know you're having a good time too. But eventually she did because she said, I know you're on the road on business. If something happens, she said, I don't want to know about it. She wanted the don't ask, don't tell uh, policy. Yeah. How much do you think it's just individual personalities? I just love uh, seeing people that I love enjoying themselves and doing well and succeeding and being involved in that. Uh, on uh, on a periphery as a witness, I, I get joy out of that. There's an actual word that they've come up with now called compersion. I enjoy the active role of being involved in compersion. 
Some people, they don't want to know about that. And now as, as uh, things have progressed uh, with Dawn and me, we don't have sex anymore, but I still want to know what she's doing. I'm very open about it, and she's still uncomfortable uh, sharing th- things with me, even though she wouldn't be uncomfortable telling a sister or a friend. And what is it? what's that about, do you think? So first of all, with compersion, yeah, that is a you nailed it like it really is it's having joy for somebody that you love and their experiences don't include you uh and to that point um a lot of people men and women uh when their partner finds pleasure with somebody else you know finds sexual pleasure particularly with somebody else they make it mean something negative about them right so it's like okay well if they're enjoying them that means they're not enjoying me or if he finds her attractive he's finding me less attractive or he finds me not attractive right and so it's it's actually a very egocentric way of thinking rather than understanding that we can find pleasure we can find attraction in more than one person and that doesn't have to mean something negative about you know the other individual that you're with and so compersion helps realize that you know and and also just to find you know my partner is really happy right now and that makes me happy that he's happy like he's met somebody that that really lights him up and that doesn't mean that I don't light him up also um, but, you know, I'm happy to see him happy. Uh, and, you know, learning how to be with jealousy is an important part of non-monogamy because jealousy definitely is something that can come up. But just because you're feeling jealous or experiencing jealousy, doesn't that doesn't have to be mean that there's something wrong or that you have to shut it down. It's just learning how to be with uncomfortable emotions. And that's part of what we do in Man on Fire is learning how to be with the uncomfortable emotions that come up. And that's a part of being a mature human being. So whether or not you're in an open relationship or if you're in a monogamous relationship, uncomfortable emotions are going to happen they're a part of life and so being mature is learning how to to be okay with having those um so you know and it's just uh it's part you know and many people get stunted at some part of their um their development due to trauma most of the time and they're not able to to fully develop themselves i thought that i was just weird that i was just a voyeur and i always gained so much pleasure from seeing people doing well whether it be in an athletic achievement or some magnificent award it's one of the reasons that i like to watch the oscars i love seeing people happy and it's just it's always been and I never could really put a word to it. And then they came up with this word compersion, which is beautiful. But even before I was aware of that, we had a young woman uh, on the show on Sex and the Pews named Kirstie Carell, who said it this way. She said, I would not want to be with somebody 
who wouldn't want to be with somebody else. Because I gained so much pleasure from seeing the people in my life enjoying themselves that I don't want to be uh, deprived of that. And I was like, wow, that put words to how I feel about that. Can people who feel the way Kirstie does, the way I do, we actually call it, when you have that moment, that compersion moment, we call it Kirstie Corelling in the pews. It's its, it's, <laughs> a, it's, its own verb now. You're, you're, you Kirstie awesome. Corel the situation. And we, we have a t-shirt coming out about it too, by the way. But in any case, uh, can people who just love being in compersion and love witnessing other people doing well, including having sex, including uh, have, uh, having their trigger tripped by somebody else. Can they be with somebody long-term, not necessarily in a monogamous thing, but a long-term relationship who is jealous all the time and, and doesn't enjoy uh, seeing people do well for whatever reason? I mean, that's just going to be a miserable situation. <laughs> so the answer is no. The answer is flat out no. <laughs> Run like a motherfucker. <laughs> uh, but I mean, plenty of people are living in miserable Boy, situations, they sure are. living it's miserable a, lives. It's a shame, isn't it, sir? It really is yeah. a shame. It really is. And, you know, it's not about better than the other it's about finding what is your truth what makes you happiest and living that i and scientists have actually looked into this evolutionary biologists in particular you know they've gone back to the history the roots of humanity and studied the tribes to see what type of um of relationships they were in and what they found is that there were monogamous tribes and there were non-monogamous tribes and every tribe had its own way of going about sexuality and relationship and so it's very much part of our humanity to to do to what to you know create this for ourselves and just this one this policy of there's only one right way for us to behave in sex and relationship we see that that's been very damaging in a lot of ways for for people for their sexuality for their relationships so it's not that um the traditional way that two of monogamy is wrong or bad at all it's only bad if it's not working for you exactly right? if, if, if it's if it's working for you then that's fantastic great do it yeah and if, if it's not then you have so many options and you don't have to live that way exactly now if there, there's no moral impl implication unless somebody says it's immoral if you want to have sex with more than one person you're in, in your in your whole life that would be really uh not an effective way to articulate it but if two people uh decide that this is the best for them have at it i mean there, there is absolutely no superior uh, approach as you said uh sarah unless it's not working for you we know societally that what we're doing ain't working because you know the relationship uh dynamic in western culture is really fucked up so the classic line is if you're trying to do something different and uh, or if you, if you want different results and are doing it the same way, that might be a little insane to keep doing it that way. I mean, the, the irony is that I, for me personally, I am by orientation monogamous. I am a, been my entire life a serial monogamist. 
except philosophically, on purpose, I'm polyamorous. Because I know that it's more beneficial in the relationships that I'm having to, if I do kiss somebody or have oral sex or do fuck somebody else, I don't want it to be a deal killer with, with the other person. And the same thing for them. Why, why, why should that be a deal killer? You know, there's, there's something when, you, when a person goes down the monogamy route, the exclusive, I'm not going to even flirt with somebody else, they are missing out on things that they don't need to be missing out on. That's just a fact. Once you're in the monogamy thing, uh, you'll never have that first kiss again. You'll never have the excitement of the, the mating ritual and the chase. So these are some some things that people should consider when contemplating, am I going to be non-monogamous or am I going to be monogamous? What say you? Well, yeah, I think, you know, the people that really do monogamy, for them, that's worth it to have had that experience with the person that they're with. And then, you know, understanding that over time, relationships evolve and change. And, you know, I encourage couples to keep their relationship alive because I don't want to see long-term relationships, monogamous relationships become stale. I want them to stay vibrant. And so I coach couples in ways to keep their vibrancy in their relationship, even when they are in long-term monogamous relationships. So, you know, yeah, the first kiss, like it feels really good. The flirting is fun, all of that. And there are so many other components to relationship that are also that can also be really amazing when you've been with somebody a long time and you've kept that spark alive that are different, but still like they have so much richness and depth to them. So it's rare to find the couples that have kept that, you know, really kept their relationship um, at a high standard and given it the, the, you know, the, the tools that it needs to, but those couples know that that's important to them and they've they've done it and it's really amazing to see when that happens what are some of the clues that you give to monogamous couple to keep reinvigorating the relationship and keep that sparkle going so uh, you know with me it's always about the internal work right so <laughs> you've got to keep reinventing yourself first and foremost you have to continually be come a new and better version of yourself you have to stay interesting and it's important that both partners are doing that because many people what they do in relationship is they sacrifice themselves for the sake of the relationship which then shuts down the relationship as well and so if you are still, if you're always an, a new, interesting person, a new, better version of yourself, then your partner gets to meet you over and over again in this new place. And that's, that's exciting. That's a turn on, right? We don't want to look at the same person over and over and over every single day for 20 years. Like, you know, I love that person, but still like kind of start to look like a piece of furniture sitting there. And instead, like reinvent yourself, follow your passion, follow your dreams, follow your desires. 
Um, and allow your partner to do the same. Don't feel threatened when, you know, they're, they're doing new things in their life. Um, but then I also give them intimacy and connection practices that they can do together. And like I've said a million times, tantric sex, being energetic, it moves the energy in our bodies. It keeps that energy fresh and alive. Uh, you know, like I tell you, man on fire, having them, um, try out, uh, new archetypes that they set the scene with when they have sex you know what archetype are they going to to embody this time they have sex and really like not just having sex is like you know this primal urge of like oh let's just go fuck but like looking at it as I'm setting a scene here and really taking more ownership and creativity letting that that creativity flow from them so that way they can show up in sex as a different person as well Again, if both members of the relationship aren't willing to do that, it's going to be a big challenge. But as you said, even if your significant other, your spouse, does not want to do the work, you will still benefit by doing the work yourself because you may light a spark in your spouse. That's number one. But regardless of how things evolve in your relationship, you're going to be in a much better position emotionally and psychologically, spiritually, if you will, by doing it. There's no doubt about that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And you just whenever you, you feel better about yourself, then everything else in the world just feels better. You know what I mean? Life still happens, right? We're still human. We're living on a planet where shit happens and you know, that stuff isn't going to go away, but how you are able to deal with it and respond to it, how your perception of it is what is able to change. Right. Because if you're, if you're not doing the work, you are going to project a part of your self-loathing and your misery on your partner and the other people in your life. If you are doing the work, you're going to feel yes. better about yourself and you're just going to treat everybody in your life better. And that's the right. That alone is a good thing. That's a, that's a beneficial outcome right there. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, and the thing with humans is that we're always, we're always drawn to the forbidden, you know, it goes way as far back. Uh, I mean, back to the story of the for eating the forbidden apple, and there are plenty of stories around this, but being drawn to the forbidden. So even in an open relationship, where there's, you know, a lot more um, openness around who you can have sex with or be in a relationship with, humans still push the boundaries, even there, right? If it's, you can have sex with everyone in the entire world, except this one person. That one person is a one person they'll end up having sex with, right? <laughs> it's like, you can just scratch your head. Like, you had so much freedom. Like, why in the world would you have done that? You know, you ruined your relationship over this one person when you could have had sex with, you know, almost 8 billion other people. Well, it's just part of... <laughs> so, there is no perfect answer even you know i i have a, a good friend who is has been in a long-term um, polyamorous relationship and i've talked to him about it and, i mean he and i have actually been lovers and you know i've talked to him about how this has how being polyamorous has impacted his relationship and he said you know we have 
some different problems. We have some problems because of it. But if we were monogamous, we would still have problems. They would just be different problems. And so <laughs> exactly. there's always going to be problems in relationship. That's never going to go away. But living your truth, growing in your own sovereignty, and, you know, just being open to to approaching things in a fresh way, in a new way, uh, challenging yourself, all of those things are growth. The less rules that you can have, the better off you're going to be. Because just what Sarah said, we love to partake of the forbidden. It, and I'm, I'm going to give a little example here. I'm going to make a law for the Sarah Rose Story fan club. Here we go. Ready? <laughs> right. This is a, a, a tried and fast rule forever for the rest of your lives. From here on out, you are never, ever, ever allowed to think about a pink elephant. That everybody's, well, that's everybody's thinking about a pink <laughs> elephant right now. And, and, and by the way, you were never thinking about a pink elephant when you started listening to the show. And you may never even thought about a pink elephant. You've seen pink elephants, but you never thought, I can't look at a pink elephant. I can't think about a pink elephant. But here's what's going to happen. I promise you, you're, it's going to happen to you, Sarah. In about six months from now, <laughs> maybe next month, 10 years from now, you're going to be getting on a plane or taking a shower or driving somewhere. And... That rule that I just stated, that you heard, that you can't think about a pink elephant, because you heard that rule, you're going to think about a pink elephant. <laughs> well, if, 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 I always tell my clients, you guys, if you want your spouse, if you want your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your husband, your wife, whatever, your significant other, not to have sex with somebody else, tell them they can there is such a draw to the forbidden by the human psyche. When Dawn and I got back together, I said, honey, go do whatever you want to do. Eventually, she gave me the same freedom, and the temptation was almost completely gone. <laughs> it was just like, whoosh, because it's so good. I have a, a good friend of mine who uh, was the first person known in history to come out and say that God healed him from being gay. And this is before all the pray the gay aways, and this is where it came from. Because he became such a celebrity in the late 1970s and early 80s that everybody else started getting on the bandwagon. He made a fortune. Of course, it was never true. His religious leaders just kept telling him just to keep saying it was true and believing it was true, and it'll get true eventually. He was married with children, etc. But eventually, he gets out of Christianity. And, of course, he felt awful about what he had done. It was He was being deceived. He was always gay. But he was feeling bad about being attracted to men. And then he finally realized that there was no moral implication about making love to somebody of the same sex. And all the guilt went away. But he's got a famous saying, sir. He says, God, I miss guilty sex. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god right yes there is definitely something to being naughty once you realize that you're free to do whatever you want to do you're probably going to be less likely to do a lot of that shit because because the guilt of it is gone that's how fucked up we human beings are <laughs> so yes ladies and gentlemen if you want your significant others not to have sex with anybody else tell them they can have sex with everybody else including that one that one person
right? Especially have sex with him. <laughs> have sex with her. <laughs> Speaking of which, of course, the uh, fan club around the planet uh, waiting with bated breath uh, to the answer, have you had sex with that one uh, jiu-jitsu guy that you said that you were just really desirous of? Have, has, that, has that been accomplished yet? Dude, all right. I got to tell you what happened. This is this is heavy. This is really heavy. Uh oh. So okay, this one I was actually in the same vicinity with him twice. Um, had drinks once, uh, and but both times I was there with another guy, and so I just kept things, you know. Just all right. I'm I'm here. I'm focusing on on who I'm here with. Well, this last week, he announces that he has a, he's in a relationship. Dun dun dun. I know. I was literally like, I <laughs> I texted one of my BFFs, not Case, another one, and I was like. Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! She's like, what? She's like, <laughs> she 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 knew I was out on a date that night, and she thought that um that something in had happened in bed or something, and that I was upset about that 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 the sex was not what I was wanting, and I was like, no, so and so, but he's in a relationship. I'm like, <laughs> so yeah, I'm still kind of processing that. Well, it, it can re- it obviously will remain in fantasy land momentarily. Uh, I can promise you, uh, he will not be monogamous forever. <laughs> Just take it to the bank. And when, when you started saying that, I thought you said you were going to say he publicly announced he was gay. <laughs> that's, oh, what, no. that, that's what I thought you were going to say. <laughs> All right. Well, see, ladies and gentlemen. Even in Coach Sarah Rose's life, a little rain shall fall. A little rain shall fall. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm still dealing with it. Yeah, Got well, some unpro- un- unprocessed emotions here. Okay, it's just that's. <laughs> a, <laughs> I think you'll be fine, Coach. <laughs> I'll survive, I guess. <laughs> Thank you for sharing another chapter of story time with Sarah. Well, at least you know you could keep it in fantasy land. You know you, you can still have him there, and then when he becomes available, which he will, undoubtedly, because this non-monogamy thing, pretty—I mean, this monogamy thing pretty much doesn't work. Uh, pretty much. I mean, you could take the if you could place a bet on every single couple that got together, whether they were getting married or just living together and announcing that they were going to be exclusive. If you could bet that the answer was, are they going to make it, yes or no? If you bet 100% no on every single one of those things, you would be the richest man or woman in the world. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there's definitely the odds stacked against monogamy in this day and age. Um, But I do, I'm like also seeing a trend, though, of more and more people wanting it uh, and wanting it to work. You know, I think a lot of people... Uh, that grew up in households where the parents were divorced. They're waiting until later ages to get married, and they're really, you know, wanting to to have monogamy work for them. And so, you know, I, I think we're going to see a shift more in that direction uh, of people 
really trying to make that happen, but, but at a later age, you know, so they've, they've already gone through, you know, several relationships and many, uh, uh, and then, you know, many, many what you you broke up there. They they went through many, what many, many, uh, different sexual partners, several relationships. And then they're, you know, okay, I'm wanting to actually get married and have a relationship and let's do this just the two of us. So there's definitely a trend for that. Uh, uh, just starting at a later age than we saw in the past. But then there's definitely plenty of people out there that are like, nope, I you know, kind of the opposite of I saw my parents try and do this. It just doesn't work and it's never going to work for anybody. And I'm not going to get mixed up in that. You know, well, I'm it, ne- it never did work societally. It was it was slavery. Women were men slaves. It, it never worked. People always say, well, we're just this generation. They're just not as committed. No, bullshit. Women had no rights. They couldn't work. They they could get divorced. They couldn't vote. They were the property. They were the chattel of men. Now, I'm not saying that there are a few couples out there, you know, one in a million maybe. My parents are one of them. My daughter, Hannah, and her husband, Angel, are two of them. Very unusual relationships. But that's what I thought was normal. My folks, nobody got divorced. But that isn't normal. The normal is that we thrive on variety. But if you're going to consider a monogamous, long-term, exclusive situation, by all means, sow your wild oats. Get it out of your system. Because I didn't, and I paid a tremendous price uh, for that after I got out of, of religion. So that, that's that's my two cents on it, Coach. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I definitely, I, I grew up with parents that are still together. Uh, they are in a thriving relationship. They're not the couple that, you know, after, I don't know how many years they've been together now, several decades, but they, you know, they love each other still. They're very committed to each other. They have fun together. They laugh together. They enjoy being together. That's the model of relationship that I grew up with. And, you know, so I have personal, you know, knowledge of how it, how it is possible. And, and I love to see couples to achieve that. But I also saw as a child, my entire life, I've seen my parents work at their relationship. And it's, it was a, it, the relationship was a priority to them. Um, I was a priority. My brother was a priority. Their jobs were a pri- priority, but their relationship was equally a priority. Uh, and that's really what it takes to thrive. And it's not to say that, you know, they haven't had ups and downs, but they've stayed through it. And I'm really grateful to them, you know, being an adult and working with people and, you know, just seeing, seeing how difficult it is for kids that, um, have parents that are divorced. So I'm, I'm, th- I'm really grateful f- to my parents that they, they did that. Um, but there are plenty of people out there in monogamous relationships that are very unhappy and that's not good for children either to be around, you know, people that are just unhappy all the time. So look at your own lives and make your own choice, but thriving is, is key. Like, how are you going to thrive in your life? One thing. That is my ultimate goal for every client yes. that I work with is getting 
helping them get to a place where they're thriving in their life. One thing's for sure. The more relationships you add, the more people you bring in, the bigger challenges is going to be. But just be aware of that. But that's why getting back to the man on fire work and the, and the shadow work, that's why it's so important. Because you're going to have relationships with people, whether they're sexual and romantic in nature or not. If you are thriving personally, if you are in a place of relative tranquility in your own soul, it's you're going to be able to relate to people in a more effective way. That's just the bottom line. So, yeah. All right. Well, now, ladies and gentlemen, the moment we always wait for here on Sex and the Sarah Rose Story, it's time for the Ask Professor Sarah mailbag segment. Got to get a drum roll or something. You ready, Professor? Ready. Okay. So this is this is from Cody. He says, "Hi, Sarah. Oddly enough, I discovered you on Master Ken's channel. Who's Master Ken? First of all." So Master Ken, he's the one that I did that video spoof with that came out on Valentine's Day. All right. Uh, yeah, so he is on Instagram at Master American. And uh, yeah, I think it's Master Ken on YouTube. If you just Google Master Ken Tantra, our videos pop up. All right, so that's Master Ken. That's how Cody found. He said he's 42. He hasn't had a steady sexual partner in the last three to four years. He's in therapy trying to work through my issues, he says, one of which is my, is my self-confidence. Basically, I've been paying for sex during this time. He's, he's getting escorts, apparently. The problem I have is believing most anything good said about me because I figure people are trying to be nice to me when I'm most vulnerable, especially since I'm paying for it. Like when they tell me that I have a nice cock or a big cock or that I can go for a long time and I please them. I have difficulty believing that or that I'm anything more than average. Therefore, I tend to overcompensate being extremely enthusiastic because I assume like most people, I associate my ego to being able to really please a woman. I want to be the guy she remembers and compares other guys to. Is this something common you see among guys? Uh, so yeah, there's a lot there that he's talking about. Um, but definitely the male ego is very much tied to their sexuality. I, and that's something that I help them with in man on fire is, um, being able to have confidence in themselves rather than in their skills, you know, rather than in their sexual abilities it's important to be good in bed, clearly, um, but not allowing your self-confidence and your self-worth to be in that just as, you know, as if there's nothing wrong with making a lot of money, but many men find their their self-worth in their net worth, right? And so having these things are, are great, but finding your own confidence in yourself and letting everything else stem from that place. Uh, so, I mean, if you're paying to have sex with you, then, then yeah, absolutely. They're going to be telling you the things that you want to hear. It's just the reality of it. You know, you're not, unless you're like specifically <laughs> paying somebody, uh, to shame to your small penis, they, we we know that there's that. There's right. a fetish. You know, they, they pay people to shame their small penises. They pay people to do that. 
they do, you know, or, I mean, there's just humiliation play, uh, things like that are, are actually pretty common. So if that's what you're paying for, but if that's not what you're paying for, then absolutely they're going to be praising you. They're going to be praising your dick, your skills, all of that. It's, if, it's, if they're, if they're good, if, the exactly. If they're good at what they do, they're going to be doing that. <laughs> right. So, you know, I'm sorry, Cody, I can't tell you that that's not what they're doing. It most likely is. Um, but that, I, I don't know what your, your skills are like, so I don't, I can't say whether or not it's also true. It's not to say that just because they're being paid to say it, that they're saying it doesn't mean that it's not also true. Um, you might, you might have a great cock. You may last a long time. You may be really good in bed. Um, and they're that. So, um, it's not, they're not mutually exclusive. That's <laughs> what I'm getting at there. Um, but but definitely, like, is this something common that I see among guys? Sexual confidence tied to self-confidence, 100%. It's a big, big fucking deal. I always uh, enjoy when people, whether guys or women, uh, want to know if, like, they're alone in this. Let me tell you guys something. You're not alone. I don't care what your proclivity is. I don't care what your... Uh, paranoid about. I don't care what you're insecure about. I don't care what you like, what fetish you have, uh, what what type of music you have, what type of movies you like, or films or uh, television shows you like. There are a lot of people like you, but for some reason, we want to know, uh, Professor, that we're not the only ones out there. That's that's so critical for some reason. Oh, it absolutely is, and I get that all the time you know guys come to me they're like certain that nobody else has the same fetish or the same problem that they have or you know this has never happened to anyone else so it's uh, i hear it on a regular basis yeah you're a good company no matter what it is ladies and gentlemen <laughs> don't, don't worry about it it's a guaranteed i i'm a kind of a, a cult follower of a television show called called deadwood it was an HBO show. It's unbelievable Western about the founding of Deadwood, South Dakota, when it was a gold town, and there was no laws initially when this town was. There was literally a town with no laws. In 1876, 98% of the female population in Deadwood were prostitutes. So it was very, it's, it's a fantastic show uh, that ran for three years, and I was a nut job about it. An absolute, I thought, I, it's like, again, kind of like I thought I was just so weird, like, being so happy for people, seeing them doing so well. But then this thing called Facebook started, <laughs> and I found a Deadwood fans page. And I was like, oh, there's 39,000 of these people just like me <laughs> that are bizarre. But no, seriously, if you're into it, guaranteed there's, there's a lot of other people uh, that are into it as well. Our next question, Professor, comes from Ethan from Edwardsville, Illinois. She sa he says, Professor, what exactly constitutes a tantric course? Yeah, great question. You know, I talk a lot about this stuff, um, but what are the nuts and bolts of it? What does this actually look like? So uh, with Sex Stallion training, it's a seven-week online course. So it's a pre-recorded video of me talking to you, telling you about the practices that you're going to do that week, how to do them. Uh, and then you get a, a, a audio as well as the video and the audio is your guide and it's actually um masturbation based practices so i'm guiding you step by step while you are masturbating so it's um 
teaching you the fundamentals of tantric sex, which are based in breath, sound, movement, focus, and moving your sexual energy. So literally step by step, I'm going to be in week one, squeeze your PC muscle, press out your PC muscle. Uh, so it's, it's like broken down. I'm there telling you, do this, do this, do this. Like during the week of edging, I'm saying, okay, get yourself hard and then bring your to a level nine out of 10. I uh, bring yourself back down to a level seven, you know, up and down the scale. I do it in a super sexy way that's a lot of fun and <laughs> not just like, um, you know, it's not definitely not clinical. You, you, uh, you, don't, you don't say it like this, bring yourself to a level seven and back no, down. No, definitely not. When I was testing it out, I had one of my uh, private clients try it out to see what he thought. And he fucking loved it. He was like, oh my God, Sarah. He's like, you bring the sex into tantric sex. <laughs> I like, cannot because- tell you how many people have told me how sexy they think your voice is. I mean, because, because, because of this show. And of course, when you make your appearance on sex of the pews, they're like, Oh my God, Sarah Rose's voice. I was like, yeah, dude, how about zero Sarah Rose's brain? How about that one too? Right. Okay. Thank you. It's fucking hot (laughs) right there. All right. How do you, how do you, how do you do it? Just give us a little tease. How do you do it? How, how, what? How do you do it? Just give, give us a little, a little little taste of what they would find in sex stallion training. Oh, oh, sex stallion training. I think I gotta. I keep needing to put some clips on my website because some of it's actually really great. Uh, but it's just like uh, I'll I'll say like I think I started out, um, hey sex stallion, uh, and then I, I literally tell them to like take their clothes off, right? Like, no, 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 hey, no, don't, don't, no, just just do it, do it. Don't t- tell no. us how you do it. Just actually do I it. Wish, I wish I had my script. If I could pull up my script, I would just read it. But it's just like hey sex stallion. Take your clothes off for me. Yeah, I like that. I like you like that. <laughs> like that. No, no, that's yeah. I can see how that would be really. I haven't done it. I haven't done the sex stallion training. Dude, what the fuck? You got to do it. All right, I'm sending you sex stallion training. <laughs> <laughs> I, I need it. <laughs> I, you know, here, here's here's how I know I need it because I don't think I need it. That's how I know I need it. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> No, I'm ha- I do great. You know, it's it's just you, you, listen. That's the key. If you keep learning, you're going to grow, and then you're going to thrive. They've done a lot of research now. People that continue to challenge their brain and keep on learning shit throughout their lives can ward off Alzheimer's. For Christ's sake, come on, you people, get with the program. This, I, this this is a this is a great uh, exchange. This guy slipped into your DM. And says, hi, Sarah. This is a great exchange. Hi, Sarah. I need some help. Please help. Sarah responds, hi. How can I help you? The guy, the guy I assume is a guy, says, can you please help in my private part review? Can you please help in my private part review? And, 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 And how did you respond to him? I said, you want me to send you a, or I said, you want to send me a dick pic? <laughs> I was, what, so did he? He hasn't replied yet. That was this morning. Okay, wait, can you please help in my private part review? What, so what, what is it? What's, I, what's a private a part review? 
What is a private part <laughs> review? Do you think is, is, is that well, like a thing on like Grinder or something or what is I that? Mean, this, this is a big deal for guys. Like I get this regularly. They send me their dick pics and they want me to to tell them. You know. So wait, wait, you, you cut I, out. Wait, you, you cut out again there. You, they, 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 yeah, they yeah. This is a this is a big deal. Guys want to send me photos of their dicks and have me tell them if their dick is okay or not. This is this is very normal. I get this message mm, a couple times a week. <laughs> All right. So, uh, what's is there ever anything? that shows up that isn't just fine or average or big or lit. I mean, what, what, what are you going to tell somebody? Here's my dick. A dick is a dick. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> like, I know you all are really, really attached to your dicks and how they look and everything, but a dick is a fucking dick. It's like, there's so much more to you than your dick. And <laughs> I, I mean, a guy with a big dick is not going to be able to satisfy a woman any better than a guy with a small dick if he's just only relying on his dick to satisfy her. It's just not going to happen. There's so much more to having sex than your dick. Get it through your heads. Both of them. <laughs> Both of them. That's exactly right. Well, we're having a little bit of tactical issues uh, more than than normal. Uh, but let's 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 fight through uh, to do a, a, at least one round of Aaron Hickok's uh, cards for humanity talking about sex. Let's do it. All right, this is where Aaron has these cards and they're uh, colored uh, different colors according to the, the different chakras, right? Yes. And uh, this this particular card is blue. What is the blue chakra? Uh, so blue is the throat chakra and um wait yeah oh, no 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 green is the throat blue is the third eye so third eye is like the point between your brows and then inside so it's like your brain right above your upper palate that area and that's a common place of focus during meditation all right well this is uh but uh, they're, they're, they have the questions on the different colored cards for a reason, Aaron Hickok does. The question is, when I talk about sex with my lover, we talk about blank. When I talk about sex with my lover, we talk about... I, I mean, I guess for me this is a little bit difficult because I don't have, like, a primary lover, Um I'd say the the most. Well, let, 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 let me let me change it up. So when when I talk about sex with a lover, I talk about. Yeah, I'd say I talk about how it feels, um, what he or she is enjoying, what they'd like to have different. Um, talking about uh, like different tantric practices that we can, we can do. I mean, this is assuming this is somebody that I'm like having regular sex with, uh, and not just like a one-time thing. Um, but you know, just like how we can grow our sexual relationship together. That's always important to me when I'm having sex with somebody more than once. I talk about, what 
pleases them and what I could do more of to uh, achieve a higher intimacy and uh, a more intense orgasm. A lot of women are orgasmic still. I mean, it's, it's incredible, but it's true. Mm-hmm. And I encourage them in that way. <laughs> it is in a, in a major way. That, that That's important to the, the climax on the regular. Yeah, it's one of the most common reasons that women come to work with me is because they want to be able to have more orgasms, better orgasms. They can't orgasm with a partner and they want to be able to orgasm. So like being more orgasmic is a definite, like definitely one of the big uh, concerns that women have around their sexuality. This is a green card. What did you say the green card was? Throat. Oh, this ought to be good. Like, like hygienous, um, it's communication, things like that. I practice self-love by blank. I practice self-love by... Hmm. So today my self-love was going and getting my manicure and pedicure done. And I get like the really nice spa. <laughs> and I just sit there and relax while I have... Uh, one person massaging my feet and another person massaging my hands. And then the only thing that's missing is, you know, somebody massaging my pussy. Uh, (laughs) I'm still working out how to, to get that, that part of my self-love going. That's Sarah's story and she's sticking to it. 